Hello, and welcome to another episode of After Class, a medical ethics podcast. We aren't philosophers, we aren't ethicists, we aren't even doctors yet. We are just a group of medical students trying to find our way in this crazy world of medicine. This podcast is run by a group of medical students at Sidney Kimmel Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University. While there are a lot of sources of information out there, from literature to the media, we hope to be a casual, free-form space to have some open, honest, and thought-provoking conversation. All views expressed on this podcast are personal to the participants. They are not the views of Thomas Jefferson University, nor any of its controlled affiliates. Today, I wanted to do something a little different here at After Class. Usually, we talk about some pretty heavy stuff. Although we try to keep it as fun and engaging as possible, there's only so much we can do with many of the very serious topics that, are, that there are to discuss in medical ethics. As we are recording this episode, most, if not all, American medical students are on their winter holiday break. In an effort to join in on the holiday spirit, a few of us are going to share some of the things that are on, that are on our holiday wish lists for medicine. Now, these wishes can be anything big or small, funny or serious, personal or field-spanning. We'll each discuss a couple wishes of our own choosing. So today I'll be sharing this Yuletide cheer with Grace and Helly. If I had one wish that I could wish this holiday season, it would be that all the children of the world would join hands and sing together in a spirit of harmony and peace. Okay, just kidding but I couldn't resist. I actually designed this entire episode just so I could drop that SNL reference. But seriously, I have two wishes, excuse me, three wishes that I was hoping to discuss with you, dear listener. My first wish is for an overhaul of med Twitter. For those of you listening, blissfully unaware of the medical Twitter's verse, I'll give a quick overview. Med Twitter is, maybe obviously, the corner of the social media platform Twitter that is occupied by medical professionals and students. It is largely divided into two main spheres. The first is the majority of users who, by and large, treat Twitter almost like an extension of their CV. Tweets mostly consist of brags or humble brags, straight up tweeting accolades and publications, or talking about how much they're studying and generally how perfect everything is going. Now on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have sphere number two, anonymous users. These accounts are started by students and docs who want to be, for lack of a better term, edgy. In my opinion, there's a lot of good that comes out of these accounts, as they offer a more honest, less filtered account of what it's like to be in medicine. They're open about problems with the profession and personal struggles, and at times can be pretty hilarious. However, they are not without their downsides, too. Since there is anonymity, some of these accounts can often indulge in some of our worst impulses, such as, to use a term many of us might remember from middle school, a sort of cyberbullying. They're also pretty uniform when it comes to opinions on ethics and policy, contributing to the much maligned echo chamber of social media. But an echo chamber in medicine, which discourages free thought and skepticism, can ultimately have real mortal consequences. My wish is that there could be some way to escape this dyad, craft some space where students and physicians can engage with the medical community on a professional level, but without feeding into the toxic perfectionism and never-ending accomplishment-seeking that wrecks the well-being of so many. However, at the same time, forming a space that is honest and personal, but resisting the petty high school-like behavior and social gatekeeping that anonymous accounts often lapse into at their worst. 
but some now some people for sure do use med twitter like this like i'm describing you know there's, there's people who mix the personal and professional beautifully where they are comparatively fewer and farther between my second wish is something perhaps more realistic i wish more of us medical people would watch the classic christmas movie it's a wonderful life now to lay my cards on the table i freaking love this movie and I could honestly talk about it for hours, but I'll do my best to temper my excitement here. Before I begin rationalizing this wish, I need to preface it. To me and to so many physicians throughout the ages, medicine is much more than a technical career. We fancy ourselves scientists jaunting around in white lab coats and attire that was consciously chosen originally by German doctors for precisely that reason, the appearance of being pure scientists. But if we are being honest with ourselves, we are at best mutts or half-breeds, a sort of half-applied scientist and half-secular priest. Yes, hard facts are our business when we actually can find them, but to quote another famous holiday classic, mankind was my business, the common welfare was my business, charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a, but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. <laughs> In short, culture and humanities are important for medicine. That wishy-washy amorphous stuff that so many of us are uncomfortable engaging with is extremely important. There, we find just as much truth as can be found in scientific journals, if not more so. And it can impact hard, cold health outcomes, but that statement deserves an entire episode to discuss. This is all to say that why I think Frank Capra's classic film is so needed. It almost entirely occupies itself with those difficult cultural spaces, trying to parse out the big questions, determining the heads and tails of it all. There are two main reasons why medicine could learn from the tale of George Bailey and Bedford Falls. The first is derived from the film's conflict between success and an ordinary life. That dichotomy is how most of us view things. All of us are gunners. We're in probably the most competitive professional field to get into. To get here, we all had to desire success as typically defined, career advancement, financial security, maybe some prestige and respect. George, the film's protagonist, wants the same. He constantly talks about seeing the world and shaking the dust of this crummy little town and becoming a big city architect. But he is constantly kept from those dreams. Things happen and George is torn between choosing what he desires and what he knows is right. He skips college because the empathetic building alone association that his father founded would close without him, leaving many in the town and living in slums. He gives up the money he saved for his honeymoon in order to alleviate others suffering during the, during the depression. He's never really rewarded for making these choices either. Doing the moral thing is hard and painful. Often he relies on Mary, his eventual, his eventual wife, to be his guiding compass especially as time wears on and George becomes more bitter about his lost dreams. She doesn't want to move out of their crummy little town despite the opportunity to do so, instead pushing George and herself to engage with their needy community. That is what she values, representing virtue and goodness itself instead of personal desires. In Mary, we see that with the right outlook, pursuing a humble and purposeful life can be filled with joy and meaning, more so than a life filled with obtained desires. The second le lesson for medicine is simple. There are things that exist in this world, in this existence that we find ourselves plopped into, that cannot be rationalized. 
I alluded to this all previously, but is worth repeating. We cannot hope to heal by simply itemizing people into organs and lab values. Yes, they're important, but so is the patient's family, their community, their faith and spirituality, their loves and fears, their soul. We could be like Scrooge or Mr. Potter, the millionaire antagonist of It's a Wonderful Life, sitting alone in our offices, tallying up numbers and figures that determine the value of human life. But if there's one thing that brings so many to tears at the end of this film is the rejection of precisely that. George Bailey truly and fully felt like his life was meaningless, that he was worth more dead than alive. How many of us have felt the same at some point in our lives? Judging by the statistics on depression amongst medical students, I would suppose many. But no matter the darkness and misfortune he feels, George comes to see that his life is beautiful and totally saturated with meaning. None of it makes sense. You can't hold it between your fingers and study it. You can't put a number to it, but it's true, more true than any equation or lab finding. <laughs> what is most fascinating to me is the end. The joy bursting forth audibly as the community singing to George in his home is similarly irrational. Yes, his town has rallied behind him to save him from jail, but nothing has really changed. He still lives in a small town, his house is still drafty, his car is still old, his friends have still all outpaced him materially. He hasn't traveled the world, he's still living paycheck to paycheck, and Mr. Potter is not defeated, still wants to close the building alone, and furthermore has George's $8,000. Then why does the viewer feel so much? Why does Harry Bailey end the film with a toast to my brother George, the richest man in town? It's not some dark or ironic joke, it hits you like a gut punch because we know it's actually true. Success is not what we often think it is. It's not the money or the respect or the influence. It's not the step score or the specialty or the name of our residency program. It's the knowledge that our life, no matter how seemingly small and insignificant, is as rich as the people we touch along the way. At least I think so, and Frank Capra did too. This movie makes me want to be a better human being, and especially at the end of this year, we could all use a reminder of what really matters. To end with a quote by George Bailey, what do you know about that? My third and final wish is something for myself, to be less cynical. It's easy, especially today, given the situation we find ourselves in, both in medicine and in the world, to lapse into cynicism. Everything seems to be going wrong. We seem to be a living embodiment of Murphy's Law, where everything that can go wrong will. And that's why it's so easy. And I know many of us, including myself, have felt very cynical, more so than usual, in the past uh, few months and year. But looking back, this is something for personally, and, and maybe some of you as well, that started before then. Many of us were so excited and enthralled with getting into medical school, and, and we were um, obsessed with becoming doctors and, and what that would mean and the goodness and, uh, and you know of that. And a lot of those things are, are true. Um, very much believe those things. But at the same time, entering medical school and seeing over the first year or two years what everything that is wrong with with the field, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with people about how everything seems screwed up and you know, different people think that there's no way we're going to ever improve anything and it is only going to get worse or the most we can do is prevent it from getting any worse. And for myself, I really want to fight those feelings and, and those that easy slide into cynicism um, this year. Um, I wish that mostly for myself, uh, for my own well-being and, and happiness, but 
Also because it's, if you're cynical, you can't solve anything. You can't help um, anyone, really, let alone yourself. Nobody wants to be those old, you know, cynical doctors that, um, you know, are so lampooned often. But maybe that is something that other people feel as well. But I know personally that is something that I hope to be better about this year. Hello, listener. This is Grace from Afterclass. Um, I'm pleased to join uh, Mike and Helly today to discuss our wishes. Um, full disclosure beforehand, uh, three uh, key things. One, uh, I apologize in advance if you hear any background noises. My um, two cats are currently engaged in some kind of all-out war just outside my bedroom. So uh, if you hear any meowing or scratching, that's probably them. Um, Secondly, just want to say, um, following up on Mike's uh, very eloquent um, uh, notes, uh, thoughts on uh, It's a Wonderful Life, I, I will admit I've actually never seen it. Um, my family's uh, annual holiday tradition was to watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, and so uh, it has Chevy Chase in it, and we, always, we would always watch it on Christmas Eve. So needless to say, um, my holiday media consumption is far less refined than Mike's. <laughs> um, and then the third point I wanted to make is that going off of that, uh, my notes are... Uh, or my wishes, if you will, are not nearly as eloquent as uh, Mike and Helly's, but hopefully um, you enjoy them and uh, we can, um, you know, express our goodwill and joy for everyone. So going on to my wishes. Um, my first wish, um, uh, as it relates to medicine and healthcare in general, is that everyone washes their scrubs, their coats, specifically their white coats, or their uh, overall medical gear more often. Um, when the pandemic first broke out uh, in uh, March or so, I remember there was this emphasis on cleaning in general, just cleaning, washing your hands, hand sanitizer, uh, covering your mouth, covering your coughs, uh, getting to the point where, where we were wiping down groceries, which yes, I also participated in wiping down my own groceries when I got home from the store. <laughs> um, and something that's said going along with that, I think there was an emphasis on just keeping tidy and keeping clean more often in general. And that can especially apply to um, your own clothing that you wear every day. Um, long story short, clothing is gross. It's really gross. Uh, if anything, I, uh, I will say today I have dressed myself a bit nicer just because why not? It's that time in between christmas and new year's day when no one knows what day it is and uh we have a tendency to fall into the sweats and lounge clothes uh section of our wardrobe especially this year um and so i decided i would just dress a little nicer today um to get a break away from that cycle but all my point being clothes is gross so clothes are gross so I um, hope everyone washes their coats more often. Uh, and that brings me to white coats. Um, so white coats are very, very important in the uh, field of medicine uh, and healthcare. Um, they have very significant sentimental value for uh, healthcare students. Namely, um, for those of you who don't know, when you start uh, medical school, um, or I believe there are other program, healthcare programs that also 
uh, have the ceremony as well. Um, there's something called a white coat ceremony where uh, students are presented with, or incoming uh, medical students are presented with uh, white coats, uh, short white coats, that is, which distinguishes them from uh, more experienced uh, attending physicians and uh, those who have graduated from medical school. Um, the shortness denotes their status as a student. Um, and it's a big deal, or at least for some students, it's a big deal. I'll say I enjoyed my ceremony very much. And I think there is a good portion of students that do value it. Um, so to a certain extent, we have a sentimental value uh, with those coats. But my goodness, please wash them. They are disgusting. <laughs> um, if anything, and that doesn't just apply to the short white coats, the long ones too. Um, I think the coats become such an emblem of healthcare and of medicine and of being a doctor and all of that and I'm not saying we should get rid of them we should by all means keep them but please wash them either find a laundry service or something to keep it clean you have no idea how many germs and bugs are getting transferred in between uh you know when we go and see patients and I think it's fairly understood that uh they can be a bit of um oh, not a fomite but a vector for for transmitting uh illness <laughs> um Going off of that, also for gentlemen, this isn't so much an issue for me, but for the guys, uh, I don't know how often you guys need to wear ties, but apparently those are also something that needs to be cleaned fairly often. I'm pretty sure Mike could comment on that more, but um, I'll let him. Uh... I've never, ever washed a tie. I've never washed a tie. I don't know if you can, can... wash ties. So we'll have to reduce some research. <laughs> can you, like, change... you, you guys change them out, though, pretty often, right? <laughs> how many ties you own i guess i don't own that many ties okay then so we'll need to do a little more like a literature review on that then on how often to wash your ties um and so on and so forth so that wraps up my first wish of everyone just wash your clothes more be clean um and we'll uh decrease the spread of germs um my second wish is that anyone that works uh, in nocturnal, uh, any person whose job requires them to work at nighttime when everyone else in a, is asleep is eligible to receive free coffee whenever they want. Now, given that this is a healthcare podcast, immediately, like, immediately doctors, nurses, uh, staff in the hospital, they come to mind. Hospitals are always open. They never close. Um, they're open 24-7. They keep chugging along even on Christmas Day, on New Year's Day, on all the holidays, um, 4th of July, and so on. So my philosophy is if you work between the hours of 11 p.m. and 9 a.m., you automatically get a free coffee. Um, and this isn't just healthcare people either. It can be truckers. It can be security guards. Um, it can be anyone that has to work in the evening. So, you know, if you're a trucker driving down I-95 and it's 3 in the morning and you're making a pit stop for coffee, or for uh, gas, excuse me, you automatically get a free coffee. I think that's fair enough. It's, you know, if you don't get to sleep at that time, then you should be able to at least get a free coffee. Um, and way, the way that we would do this is we would have a national registry. Um, similar to like, if you go into a DMV and you get your license, um, you can just like put on your license the fact that you are a nocturnal employee and you just get free coffee. It could be subsidized by you know, all those people that buy super expensive coffees that are like Pete's coffee. It's delicious, but it's expensive. Um, and it can be subsidized for people who just have to work in the evening. Coffee's like four cents a cup. Like, we can make this work. Um, so that is my second wish. Free coffee for anyone that uh, has to stay up very late or very long uh, to keep our society humming along as it is. Um, so that is my second wish.
my third wish is um, a bit more serious um, and a bit more uh, personal. So my third wish is for people to genuinely engage in self-care um, and that they're supported by their community uh, and institutions where they live um, to engage in that self-care. Uh, so if anything from this pandemic um, taught me, it really threw into light um, for myself and I would say for um, most people, uh, American or globally, um, the need for self-care um, when times are as uncertain, uncertain as they are now. Um, in, you know, the before times, if you will, um, there, I felt, was a lot of um, lip service, in a way, to the idea of self-care, um, in that it was a it was a priority in what was discussed and what was um, valued. But then when you actually look at how our communities um, and environments, our work um, uh, was actually structured, it didn't necessarily support that idea of, of self-care. Uh, one thing that really came to mind for me at least was um, I'm very fortunate in that the medical school that I go to is very supportive of its students for um, uh, self-care needs where students have the capacity to reach out to uh, administration or to mental health services if they are in need of those services. Um, one example that comes to mind is we have something called a wellness week, um, your first year of med school during, um, uh, it's like your first semester, uh, where you have a week off from classes. Um, and I think that it has a great intention and I think that the idea is definitely there. But there were also a lot of elements of Wellness Week where I felt like it missed the mark a little bit in that I remember we would have lectures on what self-care was uh, during that week. And while I appreciate the dissemination of information, if you will, um, I almost would say that the time of that value of that Wellness Week is more valuable to the student, um, uh, more so than maybe information they might want to try and search for themselves. Um for their specific situation. Um, and so I think that was over a year ago. That was uh, prior to the pandemic breaking out. I think now um, with all the stress that people have been under with the uncertainty of the pandemic, the uncertainty of when we might get a vaccine, when we'll go back to normal, um, and the uh, fact that we've all been home more, um, I think we've really actually generally started thinking about self-care and how we can improve our self-care and i hope that we come out of this um such that uh, our institutions that we engage in not only you know in healthcare that would be hospitals healthcare systems private practices and so on urgent cares you know but just in general for people's workplaces to really put policies in place um to make self-care possible for their employees uh in the context of healthcare, that's things like actually enforcing uh our work limits, which for those who are unfamiliar, there was a law passed back in the early 2000s that put um, our work limits on the number of hours a intern and a resident could work on average. It's like on average over a two week period, a resident can't work more than 80 hours a week. And some uh, institutions are good at enforcing this uh, and others are less so. And it's sort of one of those things that can kind of get slipped by, um, you know, where uh, a person might work longer than what is actually um, uh, reported. 
So something like that, I think would be really beneficial for this, uh, you know, health and wellness of physicians and of nursing staff and of staff in general. Um, one thing I think my, uh, the healthcare system where I work at does a good job of is uh, they really are trying to enforce less uh, bullying and uh, humiliation in medicine. And unfortunately, this has sort of been a historic, um, if you will, negative to working in healthcare is, um, uh, there's been, there was, a, there used to be a culture of bullying and humiliation of medical students during their rotations, um, in the sense that you know they might get questioned on something, and if they, if a student didn't know the answer, uh, they were, uh, you know, perhaps made fun of in front of other students or in front of residents. Um, needless to say, I believe we are moving past those days to the point that. Um, many hospitals are trying to move away from that, um, and I think in. Um, again, at Jefferson, at least we do a pretty good job of, um, of discouraging that kind of behavior, which I appreciate. And I think it's a good policy that workplaces should invest in, uh, for, for their students to make sure they, um, that the mental well-being of their students is, is strong. Um, and then going off that things like having cooperative work cultures, fair and competitive wages across the spectrum for, from custodial workers to CEOs, opportunities for childcare for employees. These things are just critical in the sense that they support their employees and they support their workforce such that they can be an effective and strong workforce. And then they can still take care of themselves in addition to being um, a productive member of society. And I think that if we place more emphasis on our well-being, both at home and at work, um, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, that we'd be a far more productive society than we currently are. Um, and I think that pandemic has really thrown that into light and that um, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. So those are my three wishes for uh, 2020 going into 2021. Um, and it's been a pleasure um, talking with you guys this season. Thanks, Grace. Those were some awesome wishes. So I'll start off with my wishes. I think I'll start off by saying that if any one of these came true, I would truly be so elated. But my first wish is that I wish we could learn some of the intangible qualities that make us better humans. Things like resilience, how to bounce back, humility, flexibility, adaptability, gratefulness, how, learning how to learn, and things like that. I wish we learned these things early on in school, but at least in medical school, where I personally think that having such qualities is just as important as medical knowledge. And in the future, as our access to information is only increasing, I think it'll be even more important for us to maintain our uniquely human touch, our ability to connect and unconditionally love. I know these are hard things to teach and can really be done through experience, but that's why it's just a wish. But I think it's, it's really hard to focus on trying to cultivate good qualities in yourself while handling the rigors of medical school. And I just really wish that our schools would put a bigger importance on making us better people and helping us do that together instead of just making us better test takers or diagnosis makers. My second and third wishes are kind of related to each other. Um, my second wish is that we've removed the phrase, this is how it's always been done. I've always hated hearing that phrase, and I think it's truly antithetical to the very definition of human. 
We are standing here today as a result of continuous change and improvement as a species and even as a planet. I think accepting things as they are simply because they've been that way in the past is just not strong enough of a reason for me to accept it. I'd like to think that progress comes with an unspecified clause that anything we do today is subject to change tomorrow. As times change, as our environment changes around us, we too must adapt. Our systems in place and structures must also reflect that. I think this past year has, has done a really good job of showing us this in quite a sobering way, unfortunately. But facing obstacles is what exposes our weaknesses and puts our strength to the test. That's why I'm not the biggest fan of the cry to go back to normal after this pandemic. Our whole world has gone through a massive life-altering event, and I don't think going back to how we were before is the way to cope. Of course, I, I totally understand that there were some things that we definitely cherished from our pre-pandemic lives, so to say, and I think we will definitely be able to resume these in the near future, but there are also lessons to be learned, systems to be changed, and this can't be ignored. The biggest takeaway from surviving a disaster is how we come out stronger because there will inevitably always be another challenge waiting around the corner. We've exposed a lot of discrepancies in the care between different types of people, exposed flaws in our healthcare system that have hindered the progress of treatment and the well-being of the very folks who are trying to help the sick. These flaws call for change. Even though our solution will not be perfect, I think as long as we can even make something that's a little better than where we were at yesterday, we're walking in the right direction. However, I will say that I, I do strongly believe that the past deserves respect, but I think we can simultaneously honor the traditions of the past while also creating the traditions of the future. I don't wanna hear this is how it's always been done anymore as an excuse, but I'd rather just hear this is how it's been done, and here's what we can do to make it a little better. And my third wish is, is honestly more for myself than anything, but it is to be braver. That's actually my personal goal for the next year. And I recently bought like a cute, pretty journal for writing down inspiration and just finding more resilience and inner strength to face not just the outward and physical obstacles that we see in our daily lives, but the inner ones too, which I think are more formidable. I wish for the bravery to face my inner challenges with grace and an open mind. And I think collectively as a community, if we were all to be a little more brave and speaking up for those who are unable to or, support, or supporting a colleague, I think we'd be better off for it. There's this quote that goes something like, the first person to stand up isn't the most important part of a movement. It's the second person who stands up in support and the third and the fourth and so on. And I think this kind of ties into my second wish because I think change comes from taking little steps. Even if they seem kind of arbitrary or inconsequential, I think having that bravery to take your own small steps in the direction of driving a little more good in the world can one day hopefully make a bigger difference. Guys, I loved all of your wishes. And, um, you know, maybe another wish that I can add here is a wish for people to talk more like this in, you know, in our culture, in our medical school culture of um, having these kind of open eyed discussions and, and honest discussions with um, with each other. And, um, you know, 
not being afraid to to be um you know exposed or to be wrong or to have you know not don't have all the answers um and i think that i loved all of your guys wishes and um i'm thankful to be on uh, this podcast with you guys Thank you for joining us for this episode of After Class, a medical ethics podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening. As this will be our last episode for this year, we wanted to thank every one of you who have graciously joined us over the past months as we have gotten this podcast up and running. We are humbled that anyone would want to listen to us. In a year that has been so difficult for so many, we are especially aware of everything we have to be thankful for. We wish you all a happy holiday, a relaxing winter break, and a healthy new year. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, see you after class.